Hey, it's Avishak, and you're listening to the Stop Being Confused About Health podcast, where our goal is to discover the deepest truths about health, bust myths, connect to nature, and figure out what kind of ice cream we're allowed to eat. So I hope your curiosity is as strong as my sweet tooth, because there are a ton of questions to be asking. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Have you ever thought about how one would go about being less confused about health? Would it be to read hundreds of books on nutrition? Would it be to uh, get a PhD in some health-related field, go to medical school, go to naturopathic medical school, or would it be to get some herbalism degree? Would it be to travel the world and see how other cultures do things? Well, I think each one of those strategies opens the door, opens the window to a way of viewing things. And I think the one that I'm personally more fascinated by is the one, the last one where I talked about traveling around the world, seeing how other cultures did things, because these people uh, generally were connected and are connected. People who aren't, uh, you know, on their phones all the time, using technology all the time, getting their information from uh, internet articles that are biased, uh, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, podcasts like this. <laughs> Hopefully this one is less biased. Um, those people tend to have this connection to nature that I believe we don't have, and which I believe is one of the root causes for our confusion on health. So why am I making this episode? So I'm making this episode because I actually released my second book which is called How to Stop Being Confused About Health. So I wanted to talk about basically what that book is about. I want to share some of the ideas in that book. But I also figured it would be a great opportunity to uh, provide some background on this whole Stop Being Confused About Health thing for new listeners who uh, don't really know much about who I am, whether or not you know they can trust me, stuff like that. So that's what I'm going to start with. Basically, in 2009... I went on the raw food diet in 2008. I mean, that was my first year of actively using nutrition as an ally for, uh, you know, achieving better athletic performance, specifically with track and field. Yeah, I became very obsessive about it, went on a low fat diet. Uh, I was also very uh, body conscious. And my goal was to get a six pack and just get ripped, get aesthetic. This is a big thing for uh, young male teenagers. They put a lot of self-worth into their physique, especially since they don't really know how to attract women yet or be an attractive man, which is a completely different topic. But I would say it's very much related to mental health, uh, psychological health for men. Um, so a lot of them put tons of value into just the body. Uh, and now with social media, it's even worse. So it's creating, uh, you know, a, a group of people who are so obsessed with the physical, the physique and all that. They are really losing touch with their humanity and they're extremely confused about health. So I was extremely confused about health. Um, and then I went on the raw food diet, which is a starvation diet for about 13 months, uh, almost 100 uh, percent. There was a 10 day period where. I studied abroad in Peru uh, with my university, and there I ate cooked peanut butter <laughs> on a couple occasions because pretty much all that was available other than that was fruits. So I was pretty much a fruitarian for like eight days straight. Then on that eighth day, uh, 
I found we've had some peanut butter, but it wasn't raw. Before that, you know, in my college dorm, eating crappy soil depleted produce, uh, nutrient depleted produce from nutrient depleted soil. Sorry, uh, I would eat raw peanut butter, and I, there was no way I could focus mentally if I didn't get my dose of peanut butter, because I found that the low fat diet just did something to me that was uh, horrendous for. My energy levels, my mental health, my personality, my joie de vivre, which is one of my favorite phrases to use in describing health. Because I think when you're healthy, you just have, it doesn't mean you have to be joyful, but you have a zest for life. So whatever your personality is, whatever your constitution is, whatever your horoscope is, whatever your genetics are, um, the joie de vivre essentially is the way you express healthy living. So for some people, that's the arts. For some people, that's, you know, performance arts. For other people, it's, you know, doing research and writing and discovering. For other people, it's, it's, it's all kinds of things, right? So a lot of those things depend on how we relate to this universe, uh, who we are. And that's a very different perspective on health that's getting a little abstract. And uh, it's, it's, it's more broad, but I really like that stuff. So that stuff was being taken from me. I was taking it from myself from going on this diet. Um, and on that eighth day in Peru, when I had, I had about two tablespoons of raw peanut butter, I remember this distinctly, my hunger completely abated for like eight hours. Like I didn't have to eat for eight more hours because I, it just felt so right for me. And I also felt this energy boost, kind of like a testosterone boost like I felt that aggression that grr that fire I've just felt it come back felt it come back uh, into my body and it felt really amazing so that, that's when I knew that damn I need fat like wow so I was on a starvation diet which led to gray hairs at the age of 20 I had one gray hair after that six months after that two three now I have like uh, you know hundreds probably um and this, I realized, uh, you know, was creating some nutrient deficiencies. And the, the thing is, I never ate what I wanted for another three years because I was still clinging to this idea of following very strict scientific diet that's laid out. And if you go to any nutrition conference, um, these are the types of diets people are talking about, the ways of eating people are talking about, whether it's, you know, an ancestral health diet symposium or a paleo conference. There's so much logic being applied to our food. And I realized, okay, I am actually hurting my body. You know, I can't stop going to the gym. I'm literally addicted to going to the gym. I mean, if I didn't go to the gym for like a few days, my muscles would literally get this weird itch and I'd have to work them out even if mentally, even if in the nervous system I felt, uh, you know, I didn't feel that same drive to do so. And uh, I realized, wow, how do I stop this? You know, I really didn't know how to stop this. And it wasn't until and I realized if I kept going, something bad would have happened. And what can happen in worst case scenarios is you get an Addisonian crisis, uh, which can involve this extreme low back pain in the kidney area and just complete inability to function. Um, I didn't get there. Uh, my blood pressure was starting to drop. I was at 100 over 50 at its lowest, and I just I just couldn't exercise. I was starting to get lightheaded from lifting light weights, and if I even attempted heavy deadlifts, heavy squats, 
you know, all the stuff that's glorified on social media that people with a healthy nervous system are capable of doing right now, as you see it right now, uh, that's what it means, that's what it indicates about them, um, that in the now they're okay, they might not be in several months if they keep pushing, pushing, and pushing. Um, I realized, okay, I have to stop heavy lifting, and then I created StopBeingConfusedAboutHealth.com. I said, wow, all this cross-training nonsense plus dieting actually worsened my health. Where's the balance? How can we make balance exciting? How can we forget all the glorified stuff, the social media, the image-based stuff, the, the super-sized, hyper-stimulated world we live in? How can we get away from that and reconnect to that which truly nourishes us and satisfies us? That was the question. So I created Stop Being Confused About Health. So uh, why are we confused about health? Uh, one reason uh, I already mentioned, and, and by the way, you know, if you are currently studying health, if you're on your way to becoming a doctor or whatever, you can actually use the information in this episode, in this book, to <laughs> create mass confusion, which in many cases aids marketing and aids business efforts. Because a lot of health businesses, a lot of health brands uh, rely on confusion to, uh, to be successful. And we're going to talk about that. So you'll notice the mo most popular ideas on nutrition are ideas that involve a lot of logic and science because our society has put that on a pedestal. You learn in school that the body works a certain way. You take anatomy classes, physiology classes. Uh, at the graduate level, you'll go more in depth. You'll learn about microbiology. You'll learn about immunology, biochemistry. You learn about all this cool stuff. And uh, that's basically where functional medicine comes in. Functional medicine basically is pharmaceutical medicine, but substituted with natural alternatives. But it's a very reductionist model. And although it does, it is therapeutic, I would say it's just as therapeutic as pharmaceutical medicine because there's no soul to functional medicine. There's no soul to the, there's, there's no soul in the science of studying the body as a machine, which is what Descartes came up with. I, you know, I think therefore I am. He created this idea that the body was a machine. And then Newton, Newton came around. And so the Newtonian view further uh, divided the body and basically posited that we can study it by separating it. And so how do we study the body? Uh, we, you know, we do study living tissue, but we also study dead tissue. So a lot of our information comes from dead tissue, from dissecting the body, figuring out, okay, we have this nerve here, it goes there, you know, we can pull on this muscle and see what happens, the organs look like this and that. In contrast, in traditional Chinese medicine, and I'm not saying it's either one is better, okay? They're both extremely valid ways. Now, I think it's great that we dissected the body. We should do that. But it's really curious that in TCM and CCM, uh, CCM stands for classical Chinese medicine, which is even more ancient than traditional Chinese medicine, and even fewer practitioners of that exist because it's a lost art. Um, they believe the body needed to be studied while it was living. And hence, what did they come up with? They came up with the idea of chi. And in India, they came up with the idea of prana. And this could only be seen when the body was alive. There's plenty of anatomists that discount the notion of prana and chi and say, wait a second, you know, I've studied the body. I've studied cadavers. There's no meridians anywhere. Well, duh. 
you can't find them on a dead body. They're only there when the body's alive. And the meridians are locations on the body with concentrated sources of electromagnetic energy, and they correspond to different organs. So long story short, one of the first reasons we're confused is our worldview. And it's, it's, most people will never accept this, but from the moment you're born into this world, you start to uh, be influenced by a paradigm of thinking, by the prevalent attitudes in your society and in your culture. So it's 2018, and the paradigm has been the same for probably 100 years. You know, I don't know exactly, but you know, if you were born in the U.S. within the past, probably I'd say after 1900 or so, when uh, the, the medicine, modern medicine basically began to monopolize everything that was specifically started happening at a faster rate after the publication of the Flexner Report in 1910. After this report was published, chiropractic schools and what was known as uh, eclectic medical schools, which included osteopathy, naturopathy, and herbalism schools, were shut down. And uh, there actually used to be homeopathic hospitals in the U.S. So just imagine if it was, you know, 1905 and that homeopathic hospital in Philadelphia was still around, the public's perception of these things would be, of homeopathy specifically, would be massively different. You know, if the FDA uh, didn't make it illegal to do research on clinical studies, like actual large-scale clinical studies on the effectiveness of herbs for treating specific diseases, not symptoms, diseases, making them contenders uh, in the medical system, uh, the public perception would be massively different. So whether it's health knowledge or uh, political knowledge, a lot of what you're exposed to through society, uh, through your education system, uh, influences what you think. So this invokes the subject of free will. You know, how much free will do you really have? And this is why the idea of being quote-unquote woke is a real thing. Because people who are woke, and it's you know become a very memed idea that I guess people don't take us seriously anymore. But when you're woke, you're basically saying, wow, okay, there's a system in place here. I mean, you could be saying a number of things. But for me specifically, it's about how there's a system in place and when you recognize that, you see possibilities for uh, going beyond this system, going beyond the scope, going beyond the lens that this system gives you and seeing things in new ways. That is one of the biggest reasons why we're confused about health. So because of that, in schools, uh, we're taught the biochemical model of disease. Uh, we're, we learn about things on a very detailed, intricate level. We don't really talk about things like bioelectricity, biomagnetism, and other ideas that are just as legitimate, but which have become a suppressed science. Uh, and you have to search really hard to find books and, and data studies that talk about these kinds of things because it's so non-mainstream. So even most of the discussions we're having on health, it's very much within the paradigm that is popular. And I talk about that paradigm because I know if I don't, no one will understand what I'm saying. I might not even understand it. I might not be able to talk about it because I'll have to study it deeper, which is going to involve getting completely away from that paradigm. 
Okay, so that's one reason. And now, uh, just before I get to some of the other ones, I should mention that to stop being confused about health, you have to recognize what these variables are. Because when you recognize them, you can learn, you can start to see whether or not they affect you. Then once you identify which of these factors are indeed affecting your perception of health, you can start to work on them. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about. So later on in this book, I talk about what some of the most common reasons are for health confusion. And now I'm going to give you some ideas that are much more tangible, much more concrete. So uh, one of the biggest reasons when we're talking about nutrition or anything people get confused is we don't have the capacity usually to see the bigger picture and the context. Uh, and specifically, I want to talk, use the word context here. So the context, for example, is say, you know, study comes out talking about how carbohydrates cause insulin resistance in mice. Uh, low carb advocates are going to hop on that and tell you that carbohydrates cause a lot of disease for the most part. And the context is, okay, what's the rest of your lifestyle like? What's your exercise like? What's your movement like? And what type of carbohydrates are you eating? What's your digestion like? That's the context. Now, when we think about health, we tend to find it easier to hone in on one specific aspect of it. But that's not how your body works. Your body is usually considering the totality at all times. It's considering the context at all times. And if, if we don't do that, what, what ends up happening is we end up we come up with all these ideas on nutrition that sound really great. But then they end up contradicting other ideas on nutrition that also sound great. But what often happens is both these ideas have a lot of similar context. So for example, how come both a vegan diet that's high in carbs but low in fats and proteins, as well as a paleo diet that's low in carbs but high in fats and moderate in proteins, how do those diets, which are very opposite to each other, uh, both have the potential to reverse diabetes? It's because they both have very similar elements when we look at the context. So when someone goes on either one of these diets and they come from a background of excessive intake of foods, being sedentary, uh, both these diets do something very similar. They reduce the effects of being sedentary. They give you less food overall, fewer choices. And that can create some kind of restriction. It could create caloric restriction, but that's not the only factor. Uh, there are some cellular targets that are uh, activated when you restrict proteins, some of the same targets that are activated via caloric restriction. So we could argue that they activate many of the same processes that stunt growth and promote removal of, of adipose, uh, clearance of the body, and therefore upregulate your metabolism in the short term by having your body you know, engage in the sympathetic uh, adrenal type of response to get things going, to give your body more energy. Because that's what happens when you don't have food uh, available. You have to create energy somehow, and you do that from your stores. So both those diets do that. And when you see the context, you realize, oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, you know, I don't have to do this specific diet. As long as I get the general context right, I can kind of create a strategy that is going to improve my health. 
so there are many ways of discovering context and I'm going to share with you the ones specifically from the book. So the first one is to evaluate the entire meal. So we often zone in on the foods, but we don't evaluate the entire meal. And a perfect example, actually, I don't want to give it away here, but say, for example, you eat steak. People will say, oh, saturated fat. But guess what? <laughs> steak, actually, another one is evaluating the whole food rather than objectifying it into one component. Steak actually contains a lot of monounsaturated fat as well. And monounsaturated fat is a pretty heart-healthy fat, uh, but that's based on the idea that it lowers cholesterol, which is a really simplified way of suggesting that it's healthy for your heart. Another aspect of context that is totally missing from nutrition is looking at your craving for a food. So in nutrition studies, people will, uh, you know, researchers will have a group of people all take the same exact serving size of food or maybe maybe adjusted depending on the weight but they all have to eat the same thing even if they don't want to eat the same thing so what i argue here what i argued in my first book is that wait a second if this is what most nutrition studies do they're all confounded by the same thing which is that the health effects of a food also depend not just on their nutrition but whether or not we actually want that food so if you give everyone food, the same food, and they don't all want it, I bet there's going to be, there could be a difference. And I, you know, waiting to see studies that actually have looked into this. Quite frankly, I don't think we really even need these studies. When you pay attention to what you actually want to eat, rather than telling yourself, okay, I have to eat this diet because this doctor recommended it, or this nutritionist recommended it. And instead you say, okay, you know, I'm going to try to do some of that guesswork myself. Yeah, it might suck a little bit. It might be uncertain, but I'm going to try to evaluate the food based on my appetite for it, incorporate it into my diet and see how it affects me after I do that. This is why there was one study looking at the, uh, the glycemic index of sourdough bread compared to white bread and 50% of the subjects, there, there was a, it, it was divided. So half the subjects had a lower glycemic on sourdough bread and the other half uh, responded uh, with a lower glycemic index, meaning their blood sugar didn't go up as high with white bread. So there's so much that isn't known about nutrition science because of these, uh, these factors that are individual to us. So missing context is probably the biggest, most prevalent source uh, cause of health confusion. But in the book, I outline several other reasons. Specifically, there were six uh, six primary reasons from my in my opinion that create health confusion and the last one i want to touch on here is that is authority bias we tend to place trust in authority figures people with credentials and i've been saying this for years that because when i started studying nutrition i was clearly seeing that Okay, there are a lot of people with credentials who say all kinds of things about nutrition that many other people disagree with and that maybe aren't true. So beyond credentials, there are factors that we have to analyze about an authority figure to understand whether or not they're dispelling truth. Now, like I said, you can use this information to actually uh, spread lies if you wanted to because it's how our minds work. So a lot of the confusion comes from the way our minds work. So we trust the authority figure. And some of the craziest things I've seen uh, involve doctors saying stuff to patients 
and they gobble it up. They don't even care. It's like, oh, it's a doctor. I'm just going to place trust in that person. That's why out of, you know, there's one controversial guy named Dr. Mercola. I actually like his tagline, take control of your health. Because when you take control of your health, you place that responsibility on yourself. You wake yourself up. You don't just place a responsibility on someone else. But this is what most people want to do because obviously it takes a lot of work to try to figure out what's going on and most people would rather not do that. If I'm trying to hire someone to help me with something, I don't want to figure it all out myself. That's why I'm hiring them, right? So you're paying a doctor. You you better hope that the information is good. But unfortunately, it depends, uh, you know, what paradigm they're coming from and what their own biases are. So I evaluate several ways to figure out if someone is uh, is someone that you can trust. And one of the ways is pretty much just looking at what kind of biases they have, looking at conflicts of interest, looking at the way they speak, and looking at you know how dedicated they are to the pursuit of knowledge. Because you can make a lot of money, you know, being an authority figure, being a doctor, whatever, promoting various supplements, promoting various products, and people will trust you. And I named tons of names in this book. So if you want the juicy details with examples, uh, you need to check out the book for that because I don't want to say it on the podcast. I don't feel the need for that right now. But yeah, it's a great way. You, you can do a lot with that. And I've seen people abuse that position of power. And it's frightening to me personally because I value truth. And I know that this is not something everyone values. So it's it's my personal thing. It doesn't have to be your personal thing. But if that's what you're interested in too, uh, there are several strategies you can use to figure out whether or not uh, you can trust someone. And a lot of that is also going to have to do with uh, another section of the book that I talk about, which is how the internet works. So when you're getting information online, on social media, or on the internet or YouTube or podcasts, whatever, um, the internet is self-serving. So people aren't on there you know, just for free. There's often a cause, there's a purpose, there's a motivation. And the websites that show up first on Google when you search for something have put in more effort into appearing at the top. It doesn't just happen by chance. It has to happen through you know a lot of hard work and understanding the Google algorithm And so there's a whole science to that. It's continually evolving. But, you know, for a blogger as myself, I need to make sure when I'm writing articles, I can't just write whatever the hell I want. I actually have to have a little bit of strategy and use certain words that are more likely to rank the article higher. Um, That's why my article on Sean Baker, and I use the right keyword, Sean Baker is pretty popular right now, and he's going to be for a while. Uh, that's one of my most popular articles on my blog daily for the past like two months. It also has tons of references too, which Google really likes, especially if they link to PubMed, because if it's a more seemingly authoritative source, it's going to rank higher. But uh, that's another discussion on how much, how authoritative .gov websites really are. Because when it comes to issues like vaccines and drugs, oftentimes .gov websites are uh, trying to push a certain narrative down your throat. So when you understand how the internet works, you understand there's a purpose to it, you can start to look at, okay, how tied is this person to the purpose of the internet? How well are they using it? And the better they use it, the more likely they are to be um, 
less trustworthy because it means they that's what they value first and foremost but it really depends you know it really depends on the quality of that person's information and how do you judge the quality of information uh, that's a really complex issue but the whole goal of this guide is to help you judge the quality of the information without actually having to have the background yourself by looking at what they're selling basically and it's not that hard to figure that out um, another way you can decide this is by looking at the audience so if the audience tends to have a very strong belief system then it's more likely they've been kind of sucked into it uh, Dr. Michael Greger is a great example of that I'm actually going to be doing a video on him uh, you know, he promotes veganism. He has absolutely nothing positive to say about eating animal foods of any kind, a very extreme bias. And a lot of his arguments are very shallow and they apply to vegan foods as well. So, but he's created a tribe around that. And a lot of vegans create a tribe around that. So you look at the audience and if you see, okay, they're extremely, you know, focused on one issue and they come from this one perspective, they have a bias it's very likely the authority figure is also biased. So if you want to have that bias yourself, go for it, enjoy it, experiment, always be open to experimentation. But if you're going to you know, fall for that completely, first of all, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast because none of this stuff, none, nothing I say is going to make sense to someone who has very strong belief systems because this whole stop being confused about health thing is about getting away from that mentality. So, you know, having argued with people for 10 years on and, and having plenty of experience arguing with uh, family before that for a couple of decades, at least, um, I, I, it's certain patterns emerge. And you know that people who are willing to listen, they sound different and act different than people who aren't willing to listen. So I'm not trying to get people who are biased and stuck in a dietary belief system to start listening to me because that, that's not possible. You know, I know what my mindset was like when I was on very strict diets. Like I lit, my brain was literally blocking information that contradicted what I believed. And it was a re, it's a really interesting thing. And we see it all the time in politics and a lot of the discussions going on that are publicized by social media that are in the news. Th these types of conversations illustrate this human trait really, really well. So to stop being infused about health, we actually have to evolve beyond that primitive way of thinking where we just take sides, only see one side to the, the coin and look at things from an unbiased perspective. And what that ultimately takes is uh, killing the ego off temporarily. I mean, because it's healthy to have ego, but what the ego does is it's designed to protect the self. And so when we see ideas that contradict what we believe in, it, the ego, the primitive aspects of us see it as a threat. And what do we do? We defend against the threat because that's, that's, that's just what happens. And so we close ourselves off to other ideas. And this is an aspect of the scientific method that is not uh, uh, actively incorporated into it. It's something that people eventually come to especially uh, researchers uh, professors and some of the most influential professors in my life three in particular they all had this in common they were all able to listen to opposing points of view and not get uh, upset or feel the need to strongly defend themselves 
But in the nutrition community, you rarely, if ever, see that because in order to drive a brand and create a business, you can't, you need to get people to believe in something. And this is called brand loyalty. Uh, I believe this is mentioned somewhere in the book, but that's a really important part of marketing and how essentially the internet works. So you almost like have to put an idea in people's brains and convince them that it's real. And, you know, most people uh, are a lot of people can fall for these kinds of ideas, no matter what it is, you know, alkaline diets or the idea that you know, if you eat meat, you'll be infected with parasites, whatever it is, if you add enough flavor to it, you'll get people to listen to you and you can create a tribe around that. And the tribe mentality is a mentality where um, you're, you're together. And what do all tribes do when confronted with threats? They defend. Uh, well, actually, that's a massive generalization, but at least for, you know, a lot of tribes when other tribes came and tried to encroach on their territory, a lot of death and war and uh, these defense mechanisms came into play. And it's remarkable how we do the same thing today. Uh, we haven't actually changed despite all the technology and all the advances we seem to have made as a civilization as far as the spirit as far as our behavior it's very very much the same it's very primitive and it's one of the reasons why we're confused about health now i should say uh i've been using i've said the word primitive a few times as if it's a derogatory thing because you know oftentimes it's been said about primitive societies like okay they haven't done anything they're just like squatting barefoot and doing nothing. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in primitive communities. What I'm, what I meant to say when I said primitive is more about like a reptilian brain. This is a part of the brain that is reactive, is very emotional. The other parts of the brain that are unique to us allow us to plan and think and stuff like that. But that tends to get, that gets shut off when we activate these reactionary processes. So the limbic center, that when you activate that emotional center of the brain and the amygdala, there's actually uh, neural inputs to the prefrontal cortex where you're thinking and uh, logical planning and more of your, I guess, IQ type intelligence, that type of intelligence comes from those neural circuits actually suppress activity in these higher, so-called higher areas. Uh, it's fascinating. And that's why if you ever have a discussion with someone in nutrition or politics or anything, and they start to get really emotional about it, it's guaranteed that they're going to start to suffer lapses in logic. And, uh, you know, on the internet, you don't see a lot of people who have the ability to have a reasonable discussion uh, with nutrition or science or anything. We get very worked up. And this is why the level of discussion just can't go very deep if we're if we are discussing things in a space that promotes instant gratification like Instagram or even Reddit or any 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 Internet platform can promote that. So it's up to the individual to uh, do their best to investigate things a little more thoroughly, to spend the time to do things more mindfully. And we're in a culture with tons of noise, tons of distractions that prevents that from happening. And this is spoken about in the book as well. Now, there are a few other things we can do actually to get into that state, which is absolutely fascinating. This is what I'm going to end the podcast on. So last night, I actually uh, went to a local park and collected a few herbs. Uh, a couple of them were in the mint family, 
One is called Anise Hyssop. And then there's another one called Monarda, M-O-N-A-R-D-A. That one is also known as Wild Oregano. They're both uh, mint-related plants. I put them into tea, boiled it for about, simmered it for about 10 minutes, put a cover over it because there's volatile compounds in there, very aromatic compounds. And if you cover it, you can preserve that medicine better. And I drank it, and it's, it's oh man, it's hard to explain, but I talked about some spiritual uh, stuff earlier in the podcast about holism and stuff like that. But when you eat herbs versus, you know, functional medicine is all about the reductionism, the, uh, you know, the pathways, the, the steroid synthesis pathway, and all these fascinating subjects. Plant spirit medicine is less popular because it's more abstract, but it's called plant spirit medicine because there's actually an energetic component to the plants that one can kind of get a feel for by looking at the way the plant grows, its personality traits, how the way it expresses itself, the way it flowers. Um, and so different plants have different energies and can help us cope with different things in our lives. And I certainly felt some kind of strange energetic effect that I haven't felt in a while because I haven't uh, wild crafted some herbs in a while, like really fresh local herbs straight up from the ground. Um, and it's like something opened up and I felt way calmer. All mints make me feel relaxed, but mentally sharper. But there was something else that happened that just helped me. Everything I did, I just thought through it much more deeply. And this like creativity opened up. This creativity opened up almost like a cannabis-like effect, except I, I didn't feel high or anything like that. I just felt like the ideas just kept going and going. And it was, it was absolutely amazing. So uh, there are pharmacological and botanical kinds of strategies, meditation, all kinds of strategies, but all of it centers around calming down the brain because we're in this age of massive stimuli, stimulation, hyper-stimulation. We need more, more fake boobs, bigger fake boobs, bigger fake butt <laughs> to be popular on Instagram. It's just crazy. That's why I deleted my Instagram because like, I don't want to talk to an audience that is surrounded by this stuff because I have no idea what else they're looking at and, and how short-circuited their brain is becoming. So I'd rather have them talk to me when they're on a platform where they can think more deeply about what I'm what I'm telling them. Um, so calming the brain down is absolutely vital. Now, if you're already a calm person, because uh, some people are, depending on their constitution, might have more fast activity in the brain, more prone to being distracted. Uh, if you're already very calm and don't have enough activity, then obviously th taking more mints and stuff like that won't really help you. Meditation might not help. So it's an individual thing. So I'd recommend just finding something that gives you mental clarity. So rather than drinking coffee, maybe try green tea, maybe try peppermint tea, maybe try lemon balm. Lemon balm grows everywhere. Um, and I'll have to talk about natural mints uh more often later the state our brain our consciousness is in has an effect on what types of realities we're able to perceive so when we're walking barefoot we're in nature we will understand something that is not possible to tune into the frequency is not possible to tune into when you're separated from that when you're removed from that as an example, uh, the bag of herbs, I used a large Ziploc bag to collect these herbs yesterday. 
and in the process of collecting the herbs, there were a lot of little bugs that got trapped and I felt kind of bad for them, but I didn't at the same time. Um, but there were these tiny little bugs in like feeding on the flowers and all that. There was one small spider and another small insect of some kind in the bag. What was remarkable was that every single one knew that they became disconnected from nature, that they weren't, even though they were still on the flower, they knew that they were in a plastic bag in some strange environment. Maybe they felt like that they were tr uh, missing air or something. But was, what was weird is that there was a coordinated activity where they were all walking upwards out of the Ziploc bag, trying to get, uh, trying to get out of the bag. So if I just left the bag uh, sitting, you know, on a countertop or something, the bugs are all climbing, the, the flowers and leaves and everything were at the bottom of the bag. And even if the bag was like slanted sideways or upside down, it didn't matter. They were all moving away from the plants and trying to get to the top part where the Ziploc thingy is. I was like, how do they know that? Like, what is this intelligence? So oh, I have this theory that, you know, when we connect to nature again, when we get away from all this technology, we will actually be able to see things in a way that is incomprehensible to the modern man, the modern woman who is constantly around technology and thinks that, you know, we're some advanced civilization or something like that. This is why I believe shamans and Australian Aborigines have some crazy stuff to say about how the universe works, how they can see crazy things with their third eye and have these mystical experiences that don't make any sense to us at all. So this is another reason I think we're confused about health is we're just so disconnected from not only who we are as human beings, but where we fit into this planet. Um, and so connecting to nature is a really big part of that. And unfortunately, I don't really talk about that enough at the moment because I'm not actively educating myself in that manner. I spend right now, my quest is more to read research and discover the truth that way because there's a lot of mysteries you know, I've been working on uncovering that I need to work on. There's another book coming that's four years overdue, etc. Um, but that is a long-term goal, you know, and I'm slowly doing it. But in the paradigm we're in, there are multiple reasons we're confused about health having to do with the way information is presented, the way the internet works, the way we think, our mindset, the logic. And understanding that is the first step. Then it's about calming down the brain and slowly figuring out what ideas are attached to. Are they attached to certain paradigms, certain products? And then testing things out, being open to experimentation, being open to the idea that we simply don't know. So many people are calling themselves experts, thinking they know stuff. An expert is mostly a marketing term. You have to kind of, if you say you're an expert, that's good for business. It's good for finding clients. And and I'm all for that. That's, that's I have no problem with that. I'm just saying there's a lot of people who, because of that, you know, subconsciously, they might start to think they know a lot more than they do simply by calling themselves an expert to boost their clout or whatever. Um, so you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know anything. You just have to know how to start sifting through all this information to figure out what is best for you. 
And that's going to come from your active participation in a health journey, a mindful participation where you try out new things and you document how that's working for you. You understand how that's working for you and you connect to uh, what your body's actually telling you. So all of that and much more is all laid out in my brand new ebook that's available on the website as a PDF format and it's also available as a Kindle version on Amazon and the links to that are going to be available in the uh, in the text you'll, you'll find it somewhere and I hope I don't hope I am very confident that anyone who reads this book except for people who are strong vegans or on a very strong belief system are gonna start to see things a lot differently you're gonna be able to uh, basically it's kind of like an education it's a health literacy book without actually teaching you too much concrete information that's really sciencey and technical it's more about everything that comes before that it's like it gives you the wheels the training wheels or whatever you need to actually you know bike or whatever that, that was a terrible analogy but i think you get the point so that's that guys uh hope you enjoyed this episode uh we're gonna get back to guests hopefully next week and i will talk to you next time stay balanced my friends 